Welcome to episode 35 of the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast, putting your horse first and helping your horse feel confident and proud with Ella McBain. Before we jump into today's episode, I just want to remind you about my new free weekly horsemanship breakthrough. So basically, this is where I send a email out with a horsemanship breakthrough that I've personally had on my own journey in the hope that it will also help you too. To sign up, you can just go to AmaliaDempsey.com and you'll be added to the list. And every Tuesday, you can expect to receive that email from me with a little bite-sized horsemanship breakthrough that I know is going to help you also. So Ella McBain, how did I find Ella? So I was a follower or I am a follower of Ella McBain on Instagram. She has a beautiful profile, some amazing reels, videos um, of all her horses and it's just got a really nice vibe to it. And we'd been chatting on and off for a little while on Instagram and then my friend Kim Daly also mentioned that he had um, done a clinic with Ella. So Ella was a participant in Kim's clinic and you guys may have heard Kim Daly on the podcast previously. Um, And it just reminded me that, oh yeah, I, I should probably do an episode with Ella. And Kim said it would be great to have Ella on the podcast also. So I reached out, thankfully she said yes. And yeah, so we had a little chat. Let me tell you a little bit about Ella. She is a horsemanship coach from Southeast Queensland. She does a lot of freedom-based work, including liberty, free riding, and trick training. She describes her approach as centered around creating a proud, willing, and confident equine partner who feels seen and understood. She loves helping people to understand their horses in a meaningful way in order to build a deeper trust and connection and have fun together. My overall impression of Ella after speaking with her, after asking her all of those questions that you are familiar with on the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast is that I just thought this girl is so wise and I only later learn after talking with her after the episode that she's only 21 and that just blew my mind because I thought, wow, this girl has so much wisdom and experience beyond her years. I also really connected with her because as you will hear, we have a kind of similar journey in terms of how we got into um, horsemanship and where we kind of started off. So that was really cool. And I really love how in this episode, she kind of peppers in little tips and messages and advice that should help you with your horse as well. So keep an ear out for that. And I really love how she has this very balanced and kind of open-minded approach. I feel like her energy is very open and she's just really kind of understanding of uh, a lot of people and, and where they're at with their horse and where they're at on their journey. So I really loved speaking with Ella. Now, if you enjoy this episode also, Ella and I would love if you could share on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook, wherever you're active, just by screenshotting this episode and then uploading it and letting us know what is your biggest breakthrough from today's interview, from today's episode. And if you're loving the podcast in general, please remember to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. So just head to um, Apple Podcasts um, or in iTunes. And yeah, I would love to um, have a review from you. I've had a few new reviews lately and they always make my day. And maybe I'll even read some reviews out on the podcast in future episodes coming up. That would be pretty cool. Anyway, um, let's move on. So I wanna dive into the episode now. I know you're gonna love it. Let me know what you think. Here is Ella McBain. Welcome to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast, a source for riding and training insights with the goal of helping your horse be a light, happy and willing partner. I'm your host, Amalia Dempsey, a mainstream equestrian rider who discovered natural horsemanship and equine learning theory. And now I help riders like you achieve connection and communication with your horse so you can have more fun and fulfillment whilst prioritizing the partnership. Get more learning resources, including my free connection and communication mini course at AmaliaDempsey.com. Click the follow button so you don't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave me a rating and review or screenshot this episode and share on social media. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome Ella McBain to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Really excited to have a chat with you today. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So, you know, the first question, can you tell us about your horsemanship journey to date? What got you into horses and what has led to where you are today? Yeah, sure. 
Um, so I've been around horses my whole life. My mum's always been into horses. So I've got my first pony when I was one. He was a gorgeous little Shetland and had a couple of horses after him as well. But I was always a pretty anxious rider as a kid. So we didn't really get to do all of that much. I didn't really get on very well with some of my horses because they triggered a lot of anxiety for me. So um, things really started to change for me when I got Gypsy, who if anyone sees my Instagram, that's my golden girl who is all over that. (laughs) Um, And so I got her when I was a teenager and she just completely changed everything for me and really boosted my confidence, taught me how to be confident and relaxed and safe on the back of a horse so that's when the passion really sort of kicked off for me um and I'd always done sort of tricks and positive reinforcement ever since I was little um because one of my ponies we didn't really love riding together very much but he loves tricks and I've still got him that's Mr Boots my white pony um he's super super sensitive but he's really really smart so he's always loved the tricks but until I was a lot older I didn't sort of realize that tricks and positive reinforcement and all of that fun stuff can be integrated with riding and you can have that sort of same attitude with riding like to me it was always separate you know you have the fun stuff you do on the ground and then the serious stuff that you do in the saddle Um, and so that was sort of even more prominent I guess when I started competing with Gypsy Um, and so we competed a lot we went all around the east coast of Australia to competitions and she was amazing Um, but my coach at the time actually told me that she had no potential Um, she was too lazy and stubborn so I needed a new horse if I wanted to be competitive so and that's when things really started changing for me because I got this new horse free who's my big warm blood Um, And he was that huge catalyst for change. I think with most people you speak to, it's probably that one horse that changed everything. Um, And that was definitely him because he came with his whole host of behavioural and emotional sort of issues. Um, And he became super reactive on the ground. He would rear, he wouldn't float. Um, He was just really not happy and I became pretty scared of him Um, and, you know, the safest place was always just to be on his back. If I just get on and ride, everything will be fine. Um, So groundwork non-existent. Um, And then he eventually started, he would like stop before he gets to the arena. So I could just completely refuse to go to the arena. Um, Rear when I got down there, you know, just a whole bunch of things that were clearly screaming at me like something's wrong. I'm not happy. I don't want to be ridden. Um, But at the time, it was just, you know, oh, he's just so naughty. Why is he doing this? He's just spooky. He's just silly. Yeah, I was going to say, did you see it that way at the time or were you, yeah, just thinking he's naughty like a lot of people do? Yeah. Yeah, at first I did. But, um, yeah, that's when, like I said, things started to change for me because I got a horsemanship coach who was really into positive reinforcement and kind of opened my eyes to the fact that you can really use positive reinforcement and understanding of how horses learn to help with all of these things um so we tried to really reframe how we did things with him and we got on top of most of the behavioral sort of problems quote unquote more just like loud communication <laughs> i'm gonna call it um so we got on top of most of that but then through that whole journey i sort of realized that there was a reason he was really unhappy which was because he had some problems in his back and his body wasn't quite working properly um, so we had to retire him from work, but then I took all of that back to Gypsy and did all of the positive reinforcement and liberty and tricks with her. And I just saw her absolutely light up, um, dove down every rabbit hole about horsemanship, understanding the science of how they learn, um, what they're thinking, how to communicate with them, how to make it enjoyable for the horse and make them proud in their work um so yeah we started just doing a lot of that gypsy and i and doing some free riding liberty mostly and then people started asking for lessons and then their friends started asking for lessons and then their friends asked for lessons and then i took courses on for training and 
somehow ended up calling myself a horsemanship coach just through sort of demand. Um, but I owe everything to those clients because every new horse and rider combination I got to work with just taught me so much. And I honestly just feel like that was the most intense period of learning was when I started teaching because I was constantly looking, you know, for good podcasts and things to read about horsemanship to really deepen my knowledge to help these people. And then I'd get to put that into practice and see how it works with a range of different horses. And it was just amazing. Totally. And I don't know about you, but with teaching, it's not just about training, quote unquote, training a horse, but also portraying that information in a way that the human can understand as well. So there's kind of fields that you're learning. You're learning the whole training the horse side of things, but also teaching the human, which they can be both separate challenges. Oh, definitely. And a lot of the time I would just sort of say, okay, we're actually going to put the horse over there for now. And I just want to talk to you for a little bit. Yes, (laughs) I do that as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because then the horse would get really upset because I'm just training the human for a while and they're, they're like, come on, can I have some attention, please? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wrote a list of things as you were talking there because it just triggered so many things that I wanted to talk about. <laughs> um, you mentioned competing, but you didn't actually, I don't think you said exactly what you were competing in. Yeah, I did mostly dressage, but it was into school oh, yeah. back then. So I did a little bit of everything, some show horse, some jumping. Gypsy yeah. was a great all-rounder, so she gave anything a crack. Yeah. And thinking back when your coach mentioned that Gypsy didn't have enough potential for dressage, thinking back now, do you feel like that was wise advice or like, what are your thoughts on that now? Absolutely not. (laughs) Um, I think, honestly, if you can't see the potential in a horse, there's probably some things you can improve in your horsemanship and your view of the horse and what they're capable of. Because I think every horse, you know, while Gypsy may not make it to Grand Prix dressage. She definitely has potential with dressage. But at that time, she she hadn't been sort of unlocked. You know, she had no reason to want to work for it. So I don't blame my coach for saying it because that's just where her knowledge ended kind of thing. And, I mean, I'm so grateful that she did because then I got to have free and I got to have that whole learning experience. But I think every horse is capable of giving you so much expression and potential you just have to be able to unlock it absolutely and I'm so glad you mentioned that because you know it's not everyone's goal to get to Grand Prix a lot of people just want to do dressage and enjoy their horse and have that connection with their horse so if your horse doesn't have Grand Prix potential it's not the end of the world so love that you say that I had a similar experience when I was um uh, younger and competing and the horse that I was on was awesome but the coach was like oh not quite the sort of horse that's going to take you all the way to the top but anyway that's another story (laughs) mentioned the tricks as well and I think it's really interesting how um some people kind of lump the whole tricks into a category like it's not real work if it's if it's a trick or if you're using treats like they're just doing it for the treat what are your thoughts on that oh I think there's just so much to be learned from exploring that dynamic with your horse like seeing them light up and realizing what motivates them and learning how to communicate what you want from them I think it's teaching a trick to me is no different to teaching a dressage movement absolutely not usually the biggest difference I find from people is that when they're teaching a trick they let go of these big expectations and the I have to make them work and you know, we've got to do this in a certain place at a certain time and they just let go and have a bit more fun with it. And I think that's very freeing for the horse too and they really feel that and that's why they tend to give so much more when you're doing that kind of work. And so teaching tricks and, you know, teaching Gypsy how to use her body in these really big, cool ways kind of just all came back to our dressage work and we use that in our dressage work every day because I just try and approach it the same sort of way. Um, we're just teaching them how to move their body in a cool way that feels good for them. Absolutely. And I think by incorporating the positive reinforcement piece into your dressage, you start to understand that the horse can actually do these movements themselves, like without you managing them, micromanaging them, holding your leg on inside leg to outside rein the whole time. Like you can let all of that go and it's so much more freeing and it feels so much more amazing when the horse is like, oh, Trevor, I got you. Like, <laughs> yes. um, and you can just sit there and enjoy it. It's so, it's a much better feeling than the way I've previously ridden dressage. So, yeah. Yeah, well. definitely. I think it's just all about making them 
feel confident and being, like you said, being able to do all of those things without you just telling them, you know, like sometimes I'm giving lessons on Gypsy and she'll just start doing a big Spanish walk across the arena and no one's asked for it, but she's just like, look at me, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, that even though sometimes, you know, people are like, oh, why is she doing that? I'm like, it's actually such a good thing. I'm so happy to just see that intrinsic motivation for her to just go, this feels good, so I'm going to do it. And I think 100% like the the most beautiful dressage I've seen is when horses just do things because it feels good. Um, yeah. Yeah, so cool. And you also mentioned that when you came across um, your horsemanship coach when you were kind of making that transition, that they use positive reinforcement. I feel like that's um, kind of a little rare these days in terms of when people first get into horsemanship Usually it's quite a traditional natural horsemanship, you know, negative reinforcement only coach, nothing wrong with that. But um, that's interesting that you had someone who was also into positive reinforcement. Can you tell us a little bit about that person or why you think you gravitated towards that sort of coach? Yeah, she was just recommended through a friend. It was Hayley Chambers. I don't think she doesn't coach horsemanship anymore. She actually has an equine assisted therapy business, which is really cool. Um, And so she was always combined reinforcement so and I think that was really great and one of the things that I learned from her because I think a lot of people are like it's spoken about online that sometimes coaches can be a little bit positive reinforcement purist or negative reinforcement purist Um, and so I, I just like my approach just kind of centers around making sure the horse feels seen and understood and felt um, and confident and proud and whether that's using positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, you know, making sure I tap into their emotions and my emotions, um, like whatever you have to use, that's, you know, you just have to do what's best for the horse. And that's something that I really learned from Haley because she was never like, you have to use positive reinforcement, you have to use negative reinforcement. It was always just like, let's use a combination that feels good for the horse. Yeah, love that. A really kind of balanced, holistic approach, which you know, my bias is I think that's the best way to do things because, yeah, then you, you're you leaving your toolbox wide open and you're really honouring yeah. how the horse is and how they feel and their emotions and who they are as an individual. So absolutely love that. And I feel like you've kind of covered the next few questions there, but do you have any more to elaborate on how you would summarise your training approach or philosophy with horses? Oh, look, that probably sums most of it up, but I try not to be sort of like locked into any you know, this is how I do things or this is the approach that I use. Like the centre of my approach is just creating a confident, engaged horse that feels seen and understood and, um, yeah, safe. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And I think you very much portray that through your Instagram as well. Like all your horses on there just look so happy and engaged and confident and you look like you've got a really good partnership with all of them. So love watching what you do. Can you tell us? (laughs) <laughs> can you tell us what has been your happiest horsey memory um yeah this question's a good one and it's funny because when I was thinking about it I thought of a few different moments that I could sort of talk about but most of them are achievements and I think like so many of us get trapped into thinking you know you have to achieve something to be happy and you know like my happiest moments when I achieved xyz which is awesome and I'm all for like following goals and and achieving awesome things but I think for me when I've actually felt the happiest is just like the smaller moments um cantering up our big hill at home on gypsy with the sunset maybe some music probably no tack like just flying up that hill is my absolute favorite feeling in the world and so when I thought of like what's your happiest memory honestly that feeling just makes me the happiest ever so and, you know, lucky me, I get to do that whenever I want to. <laughs> yeah, that is, that's amazing. And it would be such an amazing feeling. Would you, I mean, it's an achievement in, it, in itself, but would you like to share some of the achievements as well? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, most recently, probably flying up that hill with no equipment at all. Like usually I'll at least, I'll at least have a neck rope um, because, you know, if nothing else, it's something to hold on to. And <laughs> I, she will always stop from a neck rope cue. But, you know, when there's absolutely nothing, she really has to be actually listening because if I 
put those seat aids on and she's like, mm, no, nah, I'm not really listening to that. I don't have anything to sort of back it up. Um, so that was really cool. It was a really awesome day because she was just listening and she stopped beautifully at the top of that hill and, yeah, it was a really great moment. <laughs> Very cool. And what has been your biggest horsemanship breakthrough to date? Um, I would probably say, I, like, I, I, just like you, in the, I have a new breakthrough every single day. You know, there's always something that I'm going, oh, light bulb moment. Um, and I hope that never stops, you know. But probably one of the biggest things I can remember is I have an incredible body worker who helps me out with the horses and she's taught me so much about biomechanics and how their bodies work and that's a rabbit hole that I'm constantly trying to jump down and learn more about. But we have awesome chats while she's working on the horses about, you know, creating a confident partner and working with them in a way that feels right for them. And one day she said, um, I just wish more people would ask themselves, how can I make my horse proud today? You know, because they're such a proud animal. And that's what draws us in in the first place is, you know, that incredible pride when you see them dancing around the paddock or, you know, even two horses having a bit of a fight in the paddock. Like they're such proud animals. Um, and that's what we all love about them. But unfortunately, a lot of the time that pride sort of diminishes a little bit the more they're worked with. And I just, she said, that I wish more people would just ask themselves in the morning, how can I make my horse proud today? And that really stuck with me for a long time. Um, and I try to center everything around that sort of thought now is how can I make my horse this proud, confident, you know, elegant, beautiful animal without me having to control it? You know, how can I just help them to be that on their own? Yeah. Yeah. And what are your, I guess, main kind of go-to tips or advice in terms of helping your horse be more proud? I guess. Good question, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, probably first off is give them the freedom to show you, honestly. Like a lot of the time I think horses feel quite confined and, you know, you have to do this in this moment, in this way. Um, but a lot of the time when we just open the door for them, you know, have them at liberty, use some treats, up your energy and just go, here I am, what can you give me? Um, and uh, it's funny actually when I started this kind of work with Gypsy, I would actually, because she's naturally quite an energy saver, um, she doesn't love to come super out of her shell and do really big movements. It's just not what she loves doing. She loves the smaller stuff. Um, and so a lot of the time I would just kind of take her to the arena, put her at liberty, and then actually just kind of run around like an idiot and go, hi, Gypsy, what do you want to do? Like run around, jump around, and eventually she'd go, oh, okay, I'll do that with you. And then she'd do some really cool movements, you know, chasing me around the arena or whatnot, and I'd click in those moments and, and say, yeah, that was good, good job, you know, that can feel good. Um, and that encourages it to happen more and more often. So I guess that's kind of another thing is looking for those natural moments of pride and exuberance. And if you feel safe doing it, if you're in that place with your horse, you know, reward that and capture that and say, yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, yeah. Another kind of spontaneous question for you. Sorry to put you on the spot so much. No, it's um, okay. <laughs> but with with that, uh, I feel like some horses potentially can throw behaviours with like an underlying tense or kind of anxious feel like gimme 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 like what can I do to get the treat like I'm really wanting that so bad how do you how do you balance that because it's really nice to see horses show you behavior but when do you where do you draw the line in terms of oh nah they're just that feels really tense and anxious to me yeah definitely and I think you know like I'm mostly speaking in relation to Gypsy who rarely shows those behaviors because she is such a chilled out horse but I have definitely got horses that I wouldn't do that kind of thing with and you just have to be super aware of where you're at with your horse and usually the horses that are that little bit more reactive you just don't need to give as much you know you can just point a hand and say okay go that way and they go oh okay let's do it um but in terms of like where to draw the line with sort of anxious behaviors just I sort of encourage people to lean into those feelings like if you do feel like the horse is anxious or 
you know, displaying these behaviours because they're tense or maybe you're being a little bit too much, just go, okay, I, I see that emotion and I acknowledge it. And so right now I'm not going to be able to combat that by, you know, asking for pride and exuberance. So I'm just going to take a moment and if I find my horses in that spot, I'll just sort of go, oh, take a breath. I take some deep breaths with them and I really lower my energy, you know, put my head down, even crouch down sometimes and just sort of make everything in your body say easy, relax and just go and reward them for being able to stand there in the moment and just go. Yeah. Chill. Yeah. Even I feel more relaxed after you are just like easy. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, <laughs> so what's something you wish that every horse owner would do differently? I guess we kind of have already touched on that in terms of wanting horses to be more, a more proud version of themselves, but is there anything else that you wish that horse owners would do differently? I guess it's a kind of big one that I thought of for this question, but just to put your horse first always. And, you know, I think all of us try to, um, but there's so many ways that you can do that, that I'm still every day I learn like a new way to put my horse first and I learn a new lesson in that way. So, you know, putting your horse first can look like not riding until you get your saddle refitted because you just have that tiny niggling feeling, you know, that something's not quite right. Um, it can look like scratching from your competition because they just didn't quite feel it, you know, like then there's all the bigger things, you know, making sure that they've got a species appropriate lifestyle and that you're putting their well-being first, you know, you're not riding them when they're in pain, all of that. But there are just so many smaller ways that we can also do that, um, that I, it makes me really happy when I see people thinking about those things. And I've certainly learned in my journey specifically to always trust my gut with pain-related things. If I feel something is off, even just the smallest feeling, I cannot tell you the number of times that has paid off. And I've just gone, okay, I'm not going to ride until I get the horse seen, even if they're, you know, working fine. Um, if I just feel like something's off, I'll always just back off completely and go, okay, we need to make sure that everything's all right and it usually really pays off. Yeah, yeah. And I can vouch for that as well because whenever I have, you know, in my gut felt like mm, something's not quite right, but I'm going to do this anyway, um, it's usually not a good result. Like, you know, sometimes it, it's nothing major, but I'm like, oh, that wasn't really the best session. And then when I think back, I'm like, mm, I ignored that piece of communication or felt like something wasn't right there, but I didn't address it. So it's okay yeah. though, because in those moments you you learn like to listen to that. Once you've exactly. made those mistakes a few times, you go, okay, I've got to listen to that the first time around instead of, you know, continuing on. So love that you mentioned yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. And it applies to emotions too. Like, you know, putting your horse first definitely looks like, you know, just taking a session to work on relaxation if they're feeling tense, even if you've got a competition that weekend, you know, and you need to practice that dressage movement just actually putting the horse's emotions first and going, okay, I need to just spend a session relaxing or, you know, I really wanted to ride today, but I think my horse just really wants to graze for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And you spoke, uh, well, you touched on species-appropriate environments. Um, can you elaborate a little bit more on that and also what you think makes a happy horse? Yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, just the five freedoms is pretty much the most important thing and probably you've heard a lot of people say that on the podcast um but you know like that freedom from hunger and thirst freedom from discomfort pain and injury fear and distress and to be able to behave like a normal horse and I think when we put horses in a situation where they're not able to express those natural behaviors and live like a horse it shows up in a lot of different areas of your training like referring back to my journey with free you know he was sort of this precious dressage horse that you know he's never been around other horses so he's special and he has to stay in a paddock on his own he has to wear his special boots every day and he has to be rugged 24 7 and he has to be stabled at night and you know like all of these things and we thought that was taking care of him at the time but now he is feral in the paddock with a paddock mate and he's having the time of his life and his personality has changed so much after being 
paddocked with other horses. Um, and it was actually really funny because when I started doing Liberty with him, I noticed he would get quite um, sort of rough in the way that he would play. Like he'd play with me like I was a horse because he wasn't getting that in, in the paddock. Um, whereas he doesn't really do that anymore. He knows I'm human. He keeps his space and, you know, plays how a horse should with a human. But he gets to run around and be an idiot with his paddock mate. And his paddock mates also really changed, you know, having free around. And they're both just so much more exuberant. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting, like you, you said that, um, you know, probably other people have mentioned the five Fs on the podcast. A lot of people have mentioned the three Fs, but not the five Fs. So I love that. But um, even though it's been mentioned so many times, I will still come across people or still get messages in my inbox saying, oh, hey, like I can't put this horse in with other horses because, you know, they wear shoes or because um, they kick at other horses or they've been nibbled by other or bitten by other horses. Uh, what would you What would you say to that? How can they help kind of reintroduce their horse into a species appropriate environment if they have those blocks? Yeah, it's hard. And look, I know for me personally, I'm in a pretty good spot because we have 18 horses on the property at the moment. And look, paddocking is always a nightmare. Like when we have to change things up, it's a nightmare to try and keep everyone's needs met. But I guess if you don't, if you genuinely feel like you don't have the resources to give your horse a paddock mate or, you know, like your horses just aren't suited to each other, then, you know, I've had a client um, have an agreement with her neighbour to get the neighbour's horse closer to her horse so that they can be together because neither of them have, um, you know, the resources at the moment to have a second horse. So, you know, that can be really helpful. Um, but, yeah, I mean, a slow introduction can help as well. Um but it is, every horse is just so different and it can be really, really tricky to find the right mix. Like we did have a horse on his own for a while because he would just bite and rip other horses' rugs and they'd have chunks off them all the time. And we were like, how can we put you with another horse? Um, but we just kind of tried to shuffle things around for a while and now he's got a mare that he's really nice to and we've just found him the right match. So, but I understand other people don't have the freedom of 18 horses to shuffle around. Yeah. And sometimes I feel it's our own anxiety or fear around, oh, what's going to happen if I put them all together? Um, and what I've found personally is usually it's only the first kind of three to six hours that there's a little bit of, you know, ruffling of feathers and whatnot. And then they all work out how they are with each other and then it's happy days but sometimes that first day is just like really anxiety producing for us as well because we don't want to see our horses get injured um and I think horses that have been isolated for so long they're like woohoo other horses like let's go <laughs> and so yeah definitely yeah a bit scary um, yeah and look sometimes you've just got to give them the benefit of the doubt and go look this is something that has to be done, you know, lock your dogs up, take the day off work so you can hang around and watch and make sure nobody gets seriously injured and just let them sort it out, which is, you know, it's definitely, it's usually crazy when we move paddocks, but you just kind of have to go, okay, it's going to be chaotic for a little while and, um, and give them a couple of weeks to try and settle into each other as well. Like you often don't know until they kind of settle into that new dynamic, whether it's going to work out or not. It might be a little bit rough for a while, but We've definitely had combinations that take a couple of weeks to settle in and then they're happy as. Yeah. And I could also relate to you when you mentioned your horse or needing to keep your horse in a stable overnight and wearing special boots and having rugs on all the time because I used to be that person as well. And I don't know about you, but I kind of went through this identity crisis when I transition to my horses having dirt on them and me being like that's fine I don't care <laughs> um and you know letting them roll in the arena and <laughs> things that just like quote-unquote normal dressage people would just not do at all even now like I rarely ride with boots on I think they still look nice but <laughs> um yeah. it's funny though because a lot of those things make our life so much harder with horses you know like the stabling that that is so much time and effort in terms of mucking out and bringing them in and out. The rugging takes extra time, even the constant like brushing and grooming and all of that, uh, which, you know, I still try and keep my horses clean, but it doesn't bother me so much if they are a little dirty. Did you go through that identity crisis as well? 
Oh, 100%. And it's so funny because as you're talking, I'm just sitting here thinking, yeah, every single one of my horses is covered in mud right now, like fully caked because it's been raining here. Um, and most of the time I don't ride with tack because I'm too lazy to put it all on. Like that's my secret, guys. That's why I ride tackless. It's because I cannot be bothered to put equipment on my horse. <laughs> and you're totally right. Like mucking out stables and putting all of the special boots on and, you know, filling hay nets preparing feeds like it all takes so much time and in that part of my life you know that was a huge part of who I am and you know I loved doing that and that was just part of my day and you know like that was something you know like that was I'm a competitor I do this every day but there came a time where I was like you know that's not for me and the the benefit doesn't it's just not there for me anymore so but yeah it definitely felt weird and especially free who was this beautiful dressage horse with this amazing tail and mane and you know he was so well kept and he was always looking perfect and then I turned him out he got a little bit of itch he rubbed most of his tail out I had to hog his mane he just looked terrible and I was just it was horrible I was like what have I done this is my pride and joy and he looks disgusting but he was happy so I was like you know what that's enough I don't care how they look anymore as long as they're happy (laughs) yeah happiness is the main thing um I'd like to know from you who have been your most influential mentors with horses well Haley definitely changed a lot of things for me and opened my eyes to that whole new way of working with horses um and I'd say the other big one that probably Warwick Schiller's podcast so Mm -hmm. Warwick even though he doesn't know it um I learned (laughs) so much from that podcast and that's the beauty of online learning right oh definitely there have just been so many podcasts that I've learned heaps from and especially when I was teaching you know I would just in the car all to every single lesson I would just be listening to horsemanship podcasts and um yeah and I think you just the beauty of that online world is that you get to take little bits that feel right to you from so many different people and that's why I'm just I absolutely love that you know people like you and Felicity and Warwick and like so many people have all of these online courses and you share all of this great stuff on your Instagram and I just think it's really easy for people to you know broaden their horizons and look at all of that really cool stuff. Absolutely it's so much more accessible these days I think that Maybe, who knows, um, if I was, if I had my life again, maybe things would be different from the start because I would be online and seeing the way that different people do things versus just who's doing what in your local area. Um, because there's a much bigger, I don't know about where you are, but where I am, there's a much bigger horsemanship community online versus locally. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's fantastic that we have those opportunities these days. Yeah, Definitely. If you could have dinner with any three horse people, dead or alive, who would it be? Um, probably Warwick Schiller because he's very cool. Um, Elsa Sinclair, who I just absolutely love her work and I would love to pick her brain on how she, especially with the traumatised horses because I have my big rescue boy, Mav, at the moment. Um, and Mark Rashid is also really cool and his books are on my list, but I haven't quite got around to it yet, but I just think it would be really, really interesting to hear what he has to say. And the three of them together would be really cool. Yes, that would be actually a really cool conversation, I, I think. Um, and it's, yeah, Mark Rashid, you would love his book. You've got to get around to that. <laughs> and it's one of my dreams to have him on the podcast. I've already contacted him multiple times, but I don't think he's great with technology. So um, I might have to like snail mail him or something. <laughs> Do you even call it that? I don't know. No, that would be really cool. I'd love to hear that. Um, Okay, so this is one of my fun questions. What has been your best horse-related purchase in the last 12 months? I'd probably have to say my treeless saddle um, because it has made my horses so much happier and Boots in particular who's super short-backed and barrelly, like it's really hard to find a saddle that fits him and my experience with treed saddles was that, you know, when you do get a really good qualified fitter, it needs refitting like every couple of months when your horses are constantly like in rehab or changing shape, you know, it's just so hard to keep it fitting well. And then it ends up causing more problems. And especially when you're trying to strengthen their body, it's just a vicious cycle. So for me, the treeless saddle worked so well because I don't have to worry about it constantly changing 
the fit um, and I can use the same saddle on most of my horses, which just makes life so much easier. So cool. What brand is it? Um, I've got a ghost at the moment, another one on the way. Ghost? Yeah. Oh, like as in spooky? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I haven't heard of that brand. I'll have to look them up. And I feel like the most common answer to that question is some kind of saddle-related purchase. <laughs> Must be just equestrians and their saddles. I don't know. We've got a thing with saddles. I'm the same. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we spend a lot of time in them, so it makes sense. True. True. <laughs> such an important piece. Like if the saddle is wrong, it can cause so many issues. So. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing too. Like I feel so much more comfortable in in my saddle. It's super, super secure. So especially if I'm riding a spooky horse, not that I ever try to push them to a point where there is acrobatics, they usually is. Yeah. So um, it's really nice to have that extra security. Yeah, that's good. Um, it's funny you say that because I'm kind of the opposite. I like to have the feeling of... I'm not locked in. Like, I don't like that secure feeling. I like the freedom of movement that everyone's so unique when it comes to what they like in their saddle. It's such a personal thing. Yeah. And I feel like I definitely love that too. And I actually never ride gypsy in my saddle because I find it restricts me too much. So it's really nice to have the saddle for the horses that I need to feel secure on. And then I just ride bareback with the horses that, you know, I like to be a little bit more free moving with. Love that. Now, you've mentioned that you love Warwick Schiller's podcast, but do you have any other favourite horse books or resources? Um, well, Felicity's podcast is really good, the Equestrian Perspective. Um, I've been on that one as well. The Willing Equine, Dressage Naturally, The Humble Hoof I found is really good for like some hoof care um, and diet-related stuff, which is another rabbit hole that I've jumped down <laughs> over the last couple of years. Um, and yeah, like I said, Mark Rashid's books are on my list, but I'm not a huge book reader. I love audio books, but I yeah. definitely prefer podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I think most of Mark Rashid's books are on Audible. So that's really, yeah. Funny. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely need to get into that. <laughs> yes. And what is your ultimate goal with horses? This one's tricky because I... I don't really have any huge goals that I'm trying to work towards because I guess every day I just try and push for that feeling of freedom and pride and, you know, feeling in harmony with the horse and matching our intentions together. And I feel like when I have that goal every single day, the, the boundaries just naturally get pushed further and further. And, you know, I guess my goal for the future is just to sort of keep pushing those boundaries and seeing where that the pursuit of that feeling takes us I guess and I try not to lock myself into any sort of you know I want to be able to do this because then what happens if you don't get there you know like it's amazing to have goals but for me it just works to go I'm chasing this feeling and I'm just going to keep doing that and whatever we get out of that is going to be really cool and I'm going to be really proud of it. Love that. And it sort of takes the pressure off you as well. Like if you're seeking a feeling, I mean, really we have control over how we feel anyway. So, um, and I've experienced that a little bit myself when I've been like too set on a goal, like too direct line and too thinking about the outcome versus the feeling your, the way you make decisions changes. Whereas yeah. when you're going for like a certain feeling or um, when you're really putting the horse first, as you say, and focusing on how they feel, it's going to feel good all the time or <laughs> well, most of the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's a huge thing that I've just chosen to really focus on, especially, um, you know, to keep on top of mental health and keep myself feeling happy and joyful is to just choose to feel pride and accomplishment in whatever I end up doing every single day. And, you know, like that sounds really sort of idealistic and it's not that easy. Okay. <laughs> um, but you know, we do, instead of waiting for that external validation of, yes, I've achieved this goal or, you know, I've done this really cool thing, I try to just every day, like, take a small win out of it. I think especially when you adopt that attitude in your horse training, it, like I said, it makes a really big difference and you find yourself making some different decisions and you, when you have that attitude of I'm going to be happy with the smallest win today, you know, like, I'm going to choose to be proud of the tiny moments. You can never walk away from the arena feeling unsatisfied or unhappy. And that really rubs off on your horse as well. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And do you have any rituals or things that you do to help you stay in that state or be in that state as much as you can? (laughs) Yeah, I guess I just, it's kind of a, a habit that you have to get yourself into of just going, just being really excited about all of the little things and being your horse's biggest cheerleader. And I think that has sort of rubbed off on me a lot. Like I've learned that through horses and, you know, when I'm teaching, I'll always encourage people, you know, like if, if you're aiming for this bigger behavior, but your horse just gives you the tiniest first step, choose to be really proud of that. Choose to go, oh my God, you're so smart. You're so clever. That was amazing. Here's a treat. Great job. And then they go, oh, really? Okay. I'll do it a bit bigger next time. Um, and I guess through training that way, it just kind of became a habit to look for all the little things and look, it definitely is very hard to stay in that space all of the time and you know I don't think that's really very possible either but I I guess my best advice would be to make it a habit to be proud of the small things and look for the small things um, and look for things to be proud of. Kind of changes the lens that you view everything through when you're looking for those yes moments. Yeah. Yeah. And what would you do if you do have a day which is inevitable where you're just feeling a bit flat or you're not in the best energy? Like, do you still do things with the horses or do you take a day off or do you have something that you do to help get yourself into a better state or how does what happens then? Yeah, I love that question, actually, because I think it's really important to talk about this because everyone has those days. And I think a lot of the time we try to push through when like for me, what works for me is just going, if I'm not feeling it today, I'm just going to sit on Gypsy's back while she grazes. That's my go-to. And I'm just going to be happy that we got to spend some time together. And I'll be proud of that, you know, that I've got her out of the paddock. And we're just, because even if you don't achieve anything, spending time with your horse where their needs are being put above yours, you know, she's just getting to graze. So she thinks it's the most amazing thing ever. Like that's a huge achievement. You know, that's something that you can be happy with because you've put some marbles into the jar of good experiences, you know. Um, You're building that rapport with your horse. Um, So, yeah, I think it's, it's really important to, I guess, be aware of where you're at when you enter the arena. And if you're not feeling amazing, don't push yourself, don't push your horse to do all of these amazing things because you'll probably end up not feeling too great. Just look for some really little things that you can be happy with, you know, do instead of trying that new difficult movement that you've been working on, like go back to basics and go, oh, wow, look how well you're doing the basics. Like this is so good. Um, Or just choose to have a relationship day where you just focus on your relationship and putting some marbles in the jar and just chilling and being happy. Yeah. Yeah. Love that advice. And if there was a young child wanting to aspire to be like you, what advice would you give them? I think this one's really cool because kids see horses so beautifully, right? And I always think about that, that like I know for me, like I I lost that innocence of just seeing horses as this beautiful, amazing thing that, you know, you just go out and sit in the paddock and tell your horse all of your problems like they can understand you, you know, and you just love that horse first and foremost above everything else. So I guess my advice to a child would be to just keep loving that horse first and listen to your horse first before you listen to anybody else, you know, instead of listening to the, you should get them to do this or, you know, you need to make them work harder, listen to your horse and what your horse has to say and always lean into your horse's wisdom before anything else and keep that innocence and love and just do everything from that place of love because I think if you could keep that through your whole life it would be so amazing yes and I think it's kind of sad how we lose that over time like I can't remember exactly when it happened but it's almost like this gradual transition where all of a sudden horses are serious and it's about the competition and it's about winning and progressing all the time and it's like what like how does that just stop when you're so in love with your horse and just admiring their natural beauty and just being with a horse is enough and then all of a sudden it's not enough anymore yeah and that's such a good point it's such a good point that last bit like when did just sitting in the paddock with them not become enough like 
you know, when, why do we constantly have to search for, you know, more? I want something from them. I want to do this. Like, can't we just enjoy hanging out with our horse just like we did when we were little kids, you know? Like, I'd encourage people, even if you are an adult, go into the paddock and sit with your horse and tell them all your problems. I do it. Yeah. I'm sure people probably think I'm crazy if they can hear me <laughs> with my horses. I tell them everything. I talk to them all the time. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, I guess I'm trying to keep that innocence alive a little bit. <laughs> yeah, same here. I think if someone was able to see me with my horses throughout the day, it would be kind of embarrassing. I don't even know how I behave around them anymore because I'm so in the flow and so in the moment that I could be saying or doing anything and it would look probably really weird from the outside. <laughs> yeah, totally. I can completely relate to that. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but I love it. Um, <laughs> so that was a really beautiful message that you gave us. Um, but is uh, what is the one message that you would like our listeners to know or hear or take away from today's interview? Probably just to listen to your horse really plainly and simply. Like whatever they're trying to tell you, we owe it to them to listen, whether that's scary or confronting or expensive or painful you know, we owe it to just always listen to that truth that they have to share. Um, and that can make all of the good moments that much more amazing because we know that we're getting that honest feedback from our horse. And I feel like if you listen when they're expressing, uh, I don't want to say negative things, but things that might be a little bit confronting to us, it makes it so much more rewarding when they go, oh, I'm feeling really good today or oh, I really enjoy that because we know that they're telling the truth. And they're, they're saying that not from a place of, oh, I don't want to upset the human or, you know, like I, I don't feel like my needs are going to be met. Um, they're saying this from a place of, you know, I know I can say no, but I'm feeling really good today. So I don't know if that makes much sense. But for me, it, it feels a lot more rewarding knowing that my horses and I have that open dialogue and whatever they tell me is actually the honest truth. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yes. So everyone can take away that point of just listen to your horse today. So for our listeners listening into this episode, just carry that with you for the rest of the day and on your horsemanship journey going forward. So listen to your horse. Love that, Ella. Thank you for that. And thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. Before we wrap up, can you tell us where our listeners can find out more about you and what you offer? Um, my Instagram page is probably my biggest one I do have a Facebook page as well which is just Ella McBain horsemanship I think um but there's a link to that on my Instagram page so that's pretty much it <laughs> excellent I feel like a lot of us that are in the Instagram community have these like dormant Facebook pages as well <laughs> it's like we're supposed to have one so it's there but we're more active on Instagram <laughs> yeah definitely I feel like people are either a Facebook person or an Instagram person Totally, totally. Well, thank you again for coming on. I've absolutely loved today's chat. It was really good and I hope to connect with you again in the future. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. Make sure you hit the follow button so you get notified every time a new episode is released. And if you've learned even just one small thing from today's show, I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or screenshot this episode and share it on social media. You can connect with me on Instagram at Amalia underscore horses or my website AmaliaDempsey.com where you can find free resources to help you on your horsemanship journey. That's all for today. Thanks for being here. Remember to train with kindness and ride with excellence and I'll see you in the next episode.